Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on tiny tummies and hosts that notice them, condolences and contributions to funerals, a very special question from the hosts of the Home Hour podcast, and how to handle gifts when boundaries have been broken. Plus, an update from last week's proposal your etiquette salute for the week, and a postscript segment on replying to formal invitations. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. I love that when I started the thing, you sat up straight. <laughs> got it, right? Intro. Put a smile like, on your face. We're at the mic. We're on. Really freaking exciting weekend, even though my team isn't in it for like the millionth year in a row. It's the Super Bowl. Super Bowl party. And my team is in it for yeah. like the millionth year in a row. <laughs> and nobody likes the Patriots. It's so true. And if you do like them, it's kind of a delightful phenomenon. They are like my second Almost favorite team. Oh, darn you, Tom Brady. (laughs) And with all these trappings of success come some problems. (laughs) Oh, do do they please tell me the problems? What's so tough in the world of being a Pat fan? Well, when you're scheduling Super Bowl parties almost every year, (sighs) it means eventually you have to take your turn hosting. (laughs) So that would be me. And I I had a whole intro planned out for this show, and then it occurred to me that I'm really pretty focused on what's going to happen on Sunday. (laughs) And I realized this show will be airing on Monday, and there's a good chance everyone will be laughing at me. (laughs) Let's say like a 50-50% chance everyone will be laughing at me. But there's also a 50% chance that I will be taking a victory lap. (laughs) What, for a successful party or for the Pats potentially winning the Super Bowl? Number two, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to really hope that number one went smoothly. Nice. What have you got on deck? What's your Super Bowl party scene like? It's kind of funny. My brother was nudging me last weekend saying, you know, because it's at your house, you have to send the text around. You have to get it organized. Chiefer's ready to do dessert. You mean, wait, wait, wait. Will was like co-hosting. Like he was like backseat co-hosting. Yes. <laughs> Continue. And he was sort of very politely reminding me that it was my job to propose a main course or an entree and that that the the rest of the pieces would fall in line. But I really had to initiate this all with a text. Bigger sports fan, younger brothers. So you did a text invitation for your your party. So we've coordinated. Okay. Chiefer's going to handle dessert. Will's got apps. Susan, Will's wife, is planning the... uh, The hors d'oeuvres, the things that will happen beforehand, and we're going to open up the garage, get the grill going, and barbecue and grill veggies. Oh, wow. Nice. I love it. 
are you going to do the thing where it's like there's a TV in every single room? My grandmother was famous for keeping one in the bathroom just in case. I don't know if you can stream the Super Bowl this year, but like, how do you handle that host? I love your grandmother. <laughs> I don't think Pooja would let me put a TV in every room. Really? So there will be some limit, but you're you're right. Most devices have some form of connectivity now. Yeah. And for us, the big question was, do you watch in real time? Oh. Do you wait a half hour and then fast forward <gasps> for commercials? But, but because this is it. the Super Bowl, we'll probably be in real time. So devices are allowed. People will be in their text groups. They won't be getting information ahead of time. Oh, I was just thinking of streaming it. You're actually thinking of the communication. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Well, because if you're watching, you know, from a half hour lag so you can skip commercials, you don't even want to – sometimes even just the alerts that texts have come in sort of tells you how a drive ended Ah! if you hear a lot of excited Pat's texting about five minutes ahead of the time you're watching. I like the tone, which is exactly the same every time the phone receives a text message, might have excited texting (laughs) where you might be able to tell that something happened. (laughs) <laughs> I throw very few parties. I love attending parties. My wife loves throwing parties. It's rare that I have hosting responsibilities. So thank you for sharing my enthusiasm. I love it. I absolutely love it. I am sure that our listeners probably would love for us to talk about something other than the Super Bowl, considering it's the day after at this point. But I want to thank you, Cuz, for letting me and the rest of our audience into your wonderful world of hosting. It is so fun. Well, fingers crossed. <laughs> Shall we get to some questions? I think we shall. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is titled Tiny Tummy. Hello. I'm a small woman who genuinely has a small appetite most of the time. I chronically ask to get this wrapped up. And one of the reasons my boyfriend loves me is because he always gets to finish my leftovers. <laughs> That's a good good union. <laughs> Jack Spratt. Knowing this, when I am being treated to a dinner or at a dinner party, I always decline to order an appetizer, especially if someone else is paying. I don't want to waste their money. I would find it rude for someone to order a lot of food on my dime and then not eat it. However, sometimes this creates an awkward situation when I'm the only person at the table without something to eat during the appetizer course. Even worse, sometimes the host will call me out and ask why I'm not eating, seeming to find it awkward or confusing that I'm not ordering a first course. What is the best way to proceed? Should I explain? Order the smallest option on the menu? Please help. This is such a double-edged sword. You should never feel forced to eat. However, dining together is about sharing the act of eating. Um, even if we aren't always sharing dishes with one another, sitting down to a meal is something that is a pretty pretty human experience. You know, it's unique to us. Fundamental social exchange. Yeah, exactly. And so it's a tough one. It's a tough call. I also want to respect our listeners' sort of golden rule thought here of I wouldn't want someone to order a bunch of food and then not eat it if I was paying. And that is a good way to think of it. I also have a tendency to think that it's it's okay to entertain not your own thought in this. And the idea that a host really does want you to, you know, order what you would like and eat of it what fills you up and to not worry about that. We've talked on this show a number of times about cultural expectations on clean plates. And so you might take that into consideration if that's a part of the dining experience that evening or as our listeners have written in from other countries and said, no, this really is important. Otherwise, you know, it's like the food isn't good or it's like you haven't been filled up enough. And so there are those considerations. But I think generally here in the States that um, hosts are really comfortable letting guests decide for themselves how much of a dish they wish to eat. And let's also remember that there's no guarantee when you order a dish that it's going to be what you imagined it to be or that the flavors are going to come together in a way that works for your palate. And so it's a gamble anytime you order whether you're going to actually finish that dish in front of you. But your host should not be placing expectations on you to finish every morsel. Um, I th- Well, at least, here we go again. I say that. And then we do have cultural expectations that sometimes cross that barrier. But in general, you should feel comfortable to eat only what you need to eat, only what fills you up at a meal. I don't think the idea is that you should feel forced to eat more or that you should somehow not get to enjoy things just because you're not going to eat do you want to, What do you think, cuz? What's going on in your head? My first thought is thank goodness for the small plates yes. revolution. Oh, my goodness, yes. I'm also a, a small eater, a small portion eater, so I sympathize with this situation. In my mind, it almost I, it starts to fall into two categories. Yeah. I'm thinking about if I'm at someone's home and they've prepared food, they've spent time cooking a meal mm-hmm. and planning a meal, then I'm going to sort of lean into that, yes. try everything. You don't have to eat a lot of anything, but you might try everything that's presented or served. 
that no thank you portion we talk of, just the one scoop that you know you could take a couple bites of and it would be okay. I love the no thank you portion. <laughs> love it. <laughs> if I'm ordering for myself off a menu, I think I'm leaning the other direction. I'm yeah. leaning in that waste not, want not, don't over order. I think that it might feel uncomfortable for a host to see someone without something in front of them. But mm-hmm. we, we tell people all the time, don't feel compelled to order a salad if you don't want to eat a salad. Right. That it's it's okay. These are sort of quicker, shorter courses as you work your way through a meal. And if if you don't eat with every course, it's it's not necessarily a rudeness. And you might aim for a smaller item for <laughs> yeah. each of these courses. You might shoot for a small plate entree and then do a cup of soup I if you really want to participate in multiple <laughs> courses. But I, I don't think I feel as compelled. If I really know my host cares about it, if it's a situation where I I'm thinking more about conforming socially than I am just about your own comfort, the quality of the meal. Exactly. And exactly my own comfort. And there might be reasons why I might lean that direction. Right. Like you say maybe it's a new situation. Maybe it's a more formal experience. Maybe all kinds of maybes come to mind. But those are the two the two tracks that I find myself on. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I love I love the idea of identifying when you're in someone's home versus when you're at a table. Um, and it is worth considering your surroundings for sure. There's a whole other question that I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on, and that's the commenting, the host's commenting. Oh, my gosh. Yes. First of all, can we just blanket statement? It's really not appropriate to comment on other people's eating, either their habit, their their messiness, which we've talked about maybe how to deal with that if it's a, if it's a lifelong partnership and this is a problem, um, but that really, for the most part, you don't comment on other people's eating habits. Already, this you know, our poor listener is sitting at the table and boom. It's like an offense is caused. And I think it's one of those things where when you have a lot of confidence, it's very easy to kind of either dismiss the rudeness or to feel confident with nothing in front of you. You know, if they say, oh, you're not eating, that makes me feel awful. You say, oh, well, don't worry. I feel fine about it. You know, it's okay. I'm I'm totally good. Thank you so much for the offer. I really am excited to focus on the entree. I had a big lunch. <laughs> if you did, you don't, don't <laughs> yeah. feel compelled to lie or make things up. Dan's giving me the okay and the thumbs up sign. Um, but don't feel com- don't feel compelled to do that, you know, because if you do really love what comes next and, you know, you're eating it all. Wow, big lunch, huh? Like, you know, it's, it's an easy white lie to get caught in really quickly. But I do think it's appropriate if you would like to skip a course. You absolutely can. You can say something like, I'm going to hold off on an appetizer, but thank you so much. Um, when you're saying this with confidence, people don't don't seem to overdo it in return. Oh, no, but I really want you to have something to, that just it doesn't happen as much. You get the occasional person who can push too far. If someone starts to push you and say things like, wow, you barely eat or I can't believe you're missing out on all of this, you know, you can keep your responses simple. That's just me. Oh, I'm sure it's divine. I'm so glad you're enjoying it. Said with sincerity and positivity, these can just help you move beyond that moment and get the focus off of you and your eating habits and 
let other people talk about how much they're enjoying what's in front of them. Um, also, it's totally okay to order an appetizer as your entree so that you have that small plate as an entree if you would like, if that's easier. Or you might consider ordering two appetizers. And like Dan was saying, a cup of soup and a salad that will fill you up or a cup of soup and a small plate of something that will fill you up. I don't know why I keep going to this cup of soup. It just seems light and easy and like then you get something in front of you. Works for me. Yeah, exactly. I think – but don't be afraid to get a little bit creative to meet your needs if it feels more comfortable to have a dish in front of you, you know, throughout each course at a meal. We hope this gives you a couple of options as you're thinking about how to handle this situation and some good language in case your persistent hosts continue to bring this up. When you eat it in small bits, doesn't it taste extra good that way? No stomach ache, not too tired, not hungry, just feeling fine. That's the way. Our next question is titled, Condolences and Contributions. Dear Lizzie and Dan, perhaps this is something that others are generally aware of, but I was surprised when my father died a few years ago to learn of the custom of making cash donations at a funeral to help defray the costs associated with the person's death. This raises the question of what to do when you are unable to attend the funeral but would like to help out. Is it appropriate to send a check when sending the family your condolences? If sending a check is appropriate, would you refer to it in your letter or leave it unspoken? Most of my family members could probably use the financial help, but at the same time, this feels a little awkward, like making a charitable contribution to your family or friends. Perhaps I'm overthinking it. Thanks so much for your help. I love the show and find it very useful. The continual reinforcement of hearing about etiquette matters on a weekly basis helps keep courtesy at the front of my mind. Yours truly, S. S, we're glad to hear that the show has been of use to you, and we're also really appreciative of your question. We get a lot of questions at the Emily Post Institute about funerals and about condolence notes and how to express sympathy, how to offer help to a family. We also get a lot of questions that reference exactly what you've referenced, which is, a custom that you're not seeing just as a as the way that tipping is, where it's like we all know you tip when you walk into a restaurant. It's a custom that you're learning of and hearing about either regionally or with a particular social group. Somehow in your community, as you've mentioned, it's come to light that this is a regular thing for some folks. So let's start to to, to break up your question into some what I think of as sort of clear etiquette areas. I think the first is the condolence note or the expression of sympathy. And this doesn't need to be a long note. It can be something quite brief. It should be handwritten. And the family will receive it, read it, and most likely send a reply saying, thank you so much for your expression of sympathy or condolence. And for me, thinking about including a check with that note starts to feel a little bit awkward. I'm not saying that it's Always 100% thousand disrespectful, inappropriate. It's not but it, bad. Let's just say that. <laughs> but it feels a little awkward. Yeah. And at the same time, there is this other impulse that you have to want to help, to want to help family members or people that are dealing with those very real costs that are often associated with managing the whole situation when someone dies. So how do you offer that help? My instinct would be to call to make that offer in a personal way, to make that a separate discussion, to separate that from the condolence note. So I I wouldn't mention it in the condolence note and I wouldn't include the check, but I wouldn't let that stop me from calling and offering to help in any way that I can and maybe even with a specific offer if I felt 
close enough to make that suggestion. And it sounds like you do. I was going to say, this is one where really your your closeness to the family or or you being a family member in this family is really important. So there are sort of two separate situations I'm thinking of. One is just where you, as someone who is intimate with this family or close with this family, happens to know that the funeral is quite a financial burden or that it, it is really, you know, stretching purse strings. And that's the moment where I think what Dan is talking about is absolutely perfect. And it's to reach out to that family personally and say, I understand that funerals or this process can be very taxing and I would really love to contribute. And then you could list something specifically like to a caterer for the kind of gathering afterwards. I would, you know, be happy to make sure that there is a security person there at the house during the funeral so that it's not you know, vulnerable, I would be happy to take care of the flowers or whatever it is that you could contribute to. Offering it specifically rather than just saying, I'd love to just write you a check will really help for the family receiving it to understand what's happening and be able to accept or or say, thank you so much, but we're all set. But I think the idea here is that you're close enough with this family in order to know that this might be an issue and, and feel confident enough to offer your help. The other version of this that we see is one where folks say in lieu of flowers or in lieu of something else, a contribution to, and we've seen everything from college funds for kids who, you know, lost their parents at a young age to funeral costs to hospital costs, whatever it is that they're often listed and it said that a contribution to this would be gratefully appreciated. And it's something that often a friend of the family or someone close with the family, but not the direct immediate members of the family will set up and it'll be very clear to whom all of all of those checks or um, even if they are contributions let's say that someone owns a restaurant and can host you know a celebration of life or something like that is contributing that's a very clear indication that this is the person you should reach out to and send that check to in fact, offering to play that role might be one of the types of assistance that you could offer. You could offer to help organize that kind of a donation or be the, the contact person or the person that spreads the word about something like that. S, we really hope this helps. We really appreciate your inspiration to do all that you can at a time that can be very difficult. As long as I've been around this neighborhood, I've I've heard about you're doing nice things for people. Maybe it's time someone did something for you. I have no family. No one who really cares. Oh, Mrs. Carney, there are a lot of folks who care. So we have a fun new collaboration for the show for our next question. What is the home hour question? <laughs> the home hour question. I did an interview a while back uh, with the home hour podcast with hosts Kirsten Dunlap and Graham Smith. The Home Hour is a part of the Life Listened podcast network, and this particular show focuses on design, do-it-yourself, and gracious living. Kind of consider this podcast the home ec class you wish you'd been offered in high school. So we decided to have the Home Hour actually submit an awesome etiquette question uh, roughly like once a month. And we really thought that both audiences would enjoy the content on the show. So this is a little podcast cross-promotion love fest going on here. And the gals have recorded a question for us. So do you want to hear our first home hour question? I am now very curious. 
Hi, Lizanne and Dan. It's Graham and Kirsten from the Home Hour. We have an etiquette question and we need your advice. As you know, we not only love to throw parties, we also love to attend. As mothers of small children, we have been noticing that sometimes invitations, especially virtual email invitations like paperless post or evite, are unclear as to who is actually included in the invitation. Yeah, sometimes one child will be invited, but whether or not the invitation is extended to siblings as well just isn't obvious. We've had people text after we've RSVP'd to let us know that siblings are invited, but by that point, we may have already arranged for childcare. Or even worse, sometimes we've declined an invitation because we didn't have childcare for the other children and only found out later that they were actually more than welcome to come. In order to avoid this confusing situation, we sometimes follow up with the host before replying to clarify the policy on siblings. However, we're worried this may be rude. We're worried that they may feel pressured to invite other kids when they weren't planning to. We don't want to be pushy or increase a party budget more than anyone was expecting. Likewise, sometimes it's clear that party invitations are only attended for adults, but sometimes it's very clear that children are welcome. However, once again, sometimes the invitation is vague and just says holiday open house or something similar. We would never want to impose our children on a host when a party was just meant to be for adults. But is it wrong to ask? How would you two recommend that we go about getting clarification? Thanks so much for your help, Lizzie and Dan. A real etiquette question. I'm assuming you dealt with this with your Super Bowl party. There was. I was sitting there thinking to myself, we didn't do the the email invites, but absolutely kids are a big part of the planning and the coordination. Did you make it clear to folks that kids were welcome at this party? Yes. We have a sort of a built-in expectation that kids are often part of it, but there's usually a check-in that happens where we say, oh yes, so-and-so's coming and the girls are coming, or the spouse is coming but no girls, or the spouse (laughs) is coming. Is it ever the guest who's calling you up to make that double check? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I'm guessing that you as the host never feel awkward about that. No, I'm always thinking to myself, I'm in my mind for these occasions, hoping the more the merrier. But I think a lot of it has to do with how that ask happens. Absolutely. This is a really easy one, Kirsten and Graham. All you have to do is ask in a way that lets your host know it's perfectly okay if the kids aren't invited. So that might sound something like, hey, Dan, I was calling up. I just wanted to double check because I didn't want to step on any toes or or increase your guest list accidentally. So I just want to double check. This invitation is just for George and me, correct? And that gives Dan the chance to say, oh, no, no, no. The girls are totally welcome. Everybody can come. Or it could be, yes, this time we're actually just doing the adults. Or it might be, you know, we are keeping this to just the kids in Gregor's class. We're not going to do do siblings this time. But thank you so much for asking. I feel like that's a great response for a host to have. It's an easy way for a guest to be able to ask without the pressure. It's, it is exactly as you gals said. It's about clarifying. It's not about asking for an extra invitation. I really like that point of emphasis, that it, the, the, the idea that you're calling just to be sure you've got it right, not to say, oh, and could I please bring X, Y, or Z? Tell me something. As a host, Dan, would you feel confident making the clarification of, you know, one child is invited, but the others are not, the siblings aren't invited? I think if the ask came in with the sort of spirit that you have introduced, yes. 
Um, and usually there's a reason that a host has some sort of boundary in mind that I'm, I'm thinking back to the Super Bowl party this weekend where the, the asking for that plus one is a thing when it's not the kids. Right. And there's a real courtesy. And part of, I think, asking well for that plus one is being ready to accept and really accept the no. Yes. And I think if that's something that is internalized and is part of that ask, the host can feel it. And it's pretty easy for the host to say, you know, we're really trying to keep the focus on the game this weekend and we're trying not to have too many people that aren't going to be as interested in the game as the people that are coming. <laughs> Meaning <Or> the kiddos. <laughs> we're going to try to keep the focus on the birthday boy and we're trying to keep the number of kids down so that we can get through these games that we have planned. All of a sudden, it's relatively easy to say no to that sibling. Yeah. I do find that parents seem to be fairly understanding of the sibling thing. I think there's sometimes a hope because it might work with your own schedule that all the kids would be invited because you won't have to have babysitter care. And what I love about um, the idea of, of really presenting this ask and this clarification in a way that gives your host permission to say no, I feel like if you're doing that, you you kind of aren't doing the thing where you're secretly hoping that the answer will be yes, or that even if you are secretly hoping that that answer is yes, all the kids are included, you are prepared for the no, that it's not going to cause you to go, oh, well, I guess I'll have to find a sitter then. That is exactly what you do not want to have come out of your mouth as a response to whatever you get from your host. So really be sure that you are confident and have that backup plan if the the extra kiddos, if the siblings aren't invited. That way you can feel confident saying, no worries, I've got a babysitter lined up. I just wanted to be sure. It's really about checking with that host about what their agenda had been. And you can keep the focus there and not on your personal needs. And I can hear in the way this question is asked an awareness of the rudeness that can be perceived in trying to take over a party or suggest a lot of extra guests. And I think that as long as you've got that awareness in mind, you're pretty safe asking that question. We've said it a couple times now. We're confident that you're going to take this advice and use it well. Good luck. Kirsten and Graham, thank you so much for this question. We are so excited to hear feedback from your audience and ours. Mother, why do you suppose Mary didn't invite me to her party? Are you sure you didn't get an invitation? Maybe they thought I wouldn't want to go to a party. They probably thought I wouldn't know how to ask. Hey, now, your name's Cindy, not Cinderella. You will get an invitation to the party. There's just been some mix-up. Wait and see. Our next question is titled, Thanks But No Thanks. It's a tough one. Hey, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks for a great podcast that keeps me both entertained and well-informed on my weekend walks with my dog. I am hopeful that you have an easy answer to a situation that I feel is a bit sticky. My husband and I have a relative who used to be part of our lives, but is not currently someone we are keeping in touch with. We are purposely taking a break, and we have communicated this to her. During the holidays, we received gifts in the mail from her, and we also recently received gifts for our baby that is due to arrive this spring. We specifically asked this woman not to send us anything in the mail, but she chose to anyway. Now we feel obligated to reach out to her, at least a note of thanks for the gifts. What could that note say? Thanks in advance. Anonymous. 
Anonymous, this is such a hard one. And I'm actually going to even broaden the scope of your question a little bit to to invite in the idea of if communication just really isn't something that's possible. Um, I happen to love the fact that despite having set your boundary, you understand that this person reached out with generosity and you would like to at least respond with a note. And I I do find that to be very gracious um, because I think the other flip side of looking at that situation could very easily be I set a boundary and you just disrespected it. I don't need to play nice. Um, and I really like your idea of taking the etiquette high road. If by chance this is something where safety is concerned, I really think it's it's more appropriate to probably speak with, you know, a, a therapist or someone who you feel you could get counsel from for a mental well-being space for this type of a situation. And anyone who's experiencing it on that level, please, please remember that we always put safety before etiquette. But I think that that being said, that once a boundary is established, it is okay for you to enforce it. It is maybe not the most comfortable place from an etiquette standpoint, but if that boundary was put in place and you needed to enforce it, you could return the gifts to the sender with a note that said, you know, this was a very generous idea. However, it's not within the boundaries that we spoke about on the phone. We want to thank you, but also return these gifts. And I think that something like that could kind of walk the line between etiquette and boundary setting if you really had to. For your note of thanks, since you have asked, that's what you have asked for, I think that keeping it very simple and actually our structure for a standard thank you note could really serve you well here where it's a very simple greeting, you know, dear Bethany, thank you for the gifts that you sent to the family. They will certainly be enjoyed. Take care and then your names. And I think that that could be as simple and kind of check the etiquette boxes, but keeping it from going into the arena of we said this and you did that and then this happened and then that happened. Leave that out of the note. Keep it clean and simple. Lizzie Post, I think you've given a really good answer to what I think is a genuinely sticky question. I like the way you've sort of de-escalated. You've gone from the most sort of serious response that recognizes emotional and physical safety and then looked at the option of returning that gift and the option of also sort of conforming to the most basic minimum social expectation of responding with that note. The only thought that I'm left with is that oftentimes if this is a less serious situation, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's playing these roles that are the very established roles that allow you to start to rebuild relationships safely. Mm -hmm. That there are very sort of prescribed behaviors and types of interactions and sometimes just hitting those marks and and reaching those milestones in a relationship in life starts to provide a framework for rebuilding relationships. That's one possibility. Sorry. (laughs) Dan Posenning, what a great thought. The the only thing I would add to the idea of sending that note is if you could maybe also have a conversation about the boundaries, that you might send the note and also sort of in a separate, again, on a separate track, in a separate line, talk about why you initially had set those boundaries, why you'd like them respected moving forward. Mm -hmm. Or why this is okay but no more but but the, there is still room to have a discussion for the rest of that relationship to either heal or stay paused so you might say something like thank you so much for these gifts we can you know we can see and feel the the generosity you are trying to convey However, for the time being, we want to let you know that future gifts or cards will be returned until we can repair this relationship comfortably. I think something like that starts to get at the heart of thank you, 
but we're also going to remind you that this boundary is in place. It might feel incredibly strange to have a boundary-setting thank-you note. However, given the circumstances, I think this is one of those places where we have to do the best that we can. Dan and I hope that this provides you with a couple options so that you can best meet your needs in the situation. Thank you for your questions. You can send updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And this week in particular, I think we have a very special question that we would love an answer to. I've been waiting to hear how things went. Chris and Hope, take it away. Dan and Lizzie, thank you so much for the opportunity to propose to Hope on our favorite podcast. This memory will last forever. By the way, she said yes. What a surprise and truly unique way to propose. Thank you for making it unforgettable. Thank Thank you, Lizzie and Dan. Dan. Congratulations! Congratulations. You are most welcome. It was our pleasure. This was a a special request, (laughs) and we very much enjoyed uh, fielding it and working with you to make it happen, Chris. It was a month in the making, and Hope, we were so excited for you. I loved getting the updates of um, just as Chris was getting ready and preparing for this. The emails between us were very sweet. It was, oh my gosh, I'm getting nervous, and oh, this is so exciting. I can't believe it's happening. And then there was the, oh, did it go well? And on Sunday, I loved receiving the email that said, she said yes. It reminded me so much of where this show started, which was with Dan's proposal to Pooja. Episode three. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) We know that weddings are oftentimes the moment in life when people first meet Emily Post. It's the most common search term that brings people to our (laughs) our website. It's the most commonly searched term once people find our website. It is a really important and exciting time in life, and we're so glad you decided to share that time with us. Hope and Chris, we hope you have a wonderful engagement and get to celebrate all the exciting things that merging your lives, creating a union, forming a new family bring to the world. And we are just so happy and grateful that you chose to share the start of it all with us. Keep the questions coming. Let us know how it's going. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment, update, or congratulations for Chris and Hope to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And we haven't had a good etiquette geek out in a while. <laughs> I know. I wanted to find something really etiquette Let's get traditional. Let's get formal. Let's do it. Let's talk about replying to a formal invitation. 
This topic of etiquette comes to you from the 19th edition of Emily Post's Etiquette on pages 286 and 287. And it is very specifically about replying to a formal invitation. Unless a formal invitation includes a telephone number, email address, or reply card, handwritten responses are expected to RSVP and regrets-only requests. I do just want to make a note. We do not suggest doing regrets-only. It often gets too confusing for guests and hosts. It is much easier to get clear answers from folks. Replies are sent to the host or hosts at the return address on the envelope or the address that appears with the RSVP. If there are several hosts, one name and address is usually included with the RSVP. You send your response to that person, though the names of all the hosts are included in a formal written reply. There are two ways to reply to a formal invitation, a formal note that follows the wording and style of the invitation or a personal note. Personal notes might be sent when the invitee knows the host well and wishes to explain briefly why he or she must regret. The formal note is much easier to write than people think because the wording reflects the wording of the invitation itself. Replies like the following, which we will give you examples of, are handwritten on plain or monogrammed notepaper, and lines are centered just as in the invitation. No punctuation is used except for in social titles and to separate words on the same line. Take note that the time is included in the acceptance, but not in the note of regret. This is to assure hosts that the guest has the correct time for the event. So if you are saying yes to an invitation, you want to, in a very formal reply, actually put the time of the event on that uh, reply so that the host knows you've actually got the right date, the right time, and are going to show up to the party appropriately. So logical. Makes perfect sense. Oh, so there are two versions of the formal acceptance when you are using the invitation itself to craft your acceptance. Again, this is the formal reply, not the personal note. So you might write, and these are the examples that we have in our book, line one, Mr. and Mrs. Nicholas Stamus, line two, accept with pleasure, line three, the kind invitation of, line four, now you've got your hosts, Mr. and Mrs. George Fletcher, next line, for dinner, following line, on Friday, comma, the 9th of July, final line, at half past eight o'clock, all spelled out. That's one version of the formal reply when you are reflecting the invitation, not sending a personal note. Imagine the centered <laughs> command yes, on your exactly. Word document. <laughs> exactly. Um, a slightly shorter version or a different way to word it would be Mr. and Mrs. Nicholas Stamos, second line, except with pleasure. Third line, Mr. and Mrs. George Fletcher's fourth line, kind invitation for dinner. Fifth line, on Friday, comma, the 9th of July. Sixth line, at half past eight o'clock, all spelled out, no period at the end. <laughs> I really hope you're able to follow that. Font visually. select handwritten. <laughs> yeah, font select handwritten. Very nice, D. Very nice. <laughs> Hearing these, the etiquette geek in me smiles. I love the the structure of the formality. Mm-hmm. I'm also remembering back to the 22 edition of etiquette where Emily often remarked on how the most formal 
was often the most personal. She was a big fan of that handwritten, more personalized reply. So while I, in our very casual and informal times, take delight in the structure of this formality, there is also something very gracious and formal and personal about a little note that makes mention of the personal relationship, how enthusiastic, how much pleasure you take in accepting this invitation, and that you can't wait to be seeing them, probably also including the time and date. I was thinking of our listener. This was a number of episodes back. Please forgive me for not knowing exactly which one, but who wrote in saying that she was so intrigued by the idea of reply cards for wedding invitations because over in the UK where she lives, you automatically, when you receive a wedding invitation, which typically is the most formal invitation we receive nowadays, or it can be the most formal invitation that many of us will receive nowadays, that you automatically write a handwritten reply, note of, you know, accepts or regrets, but that it's that handwritten reply on your stationery and it, it goes out and that's just automatic. It's just how you reply to every single formal invitation. And I, I love that the UK is upholding that tradition. And I love that it was something that our listener made so accessible, so easy, so just matter of fact, this is how it's handled. That note does not have to be something that is like four pages long. It really can be everything Dan just said. It it expresses your joy at receiving the invitation, explains whether you can attend or not, you know, probably expresses um, some kind of joy at this, whatever it is that the event is celebrating. It. <laughs> it's wonderful. And so it can be just an incredibly personal uh, experience. And I think it's one that we shouldn't shy away from just because our culture today is more casual and we don't receive these types of invitations that often. Your host will thank you so much when they receive that RSVP in a prompt and timely manner. Absolutely. Now, before we close off this segment, there are two things I want to address. And one is that you also can send your regrets in this formal manner. And that might sound something like, Dr. and Mrs. Vincent Alvarado, next line, regret that they are unable to accept, next line, the kind invitation of Ms. Ann Alt and Mr. Keith Ambrose. Next line on Friday, comma, the 6th of August. Again, you don't need to put the actual time because you won't be attending the event. But in that accepts, you want to put the time as that final line. The other thing that we had mentioned was replying to multiple hosts. When there is more than one host, all the names appear on the reply, though the envelope is addressed to the host listed with the RSVP. So whoever's name appears on that RSVP, that's who you're going to put the exterior address on and actually mail it to. But the note itself could say something like, Ms. Juliana Varden, next line, accepts with pleasure or regrets, if that's what you need to do. Next line, the kind invitation of, following line, Mrs. Chambers and, following line, Ms. Underwood, and following line, you just start adding them on. But they each receive their own line, and the word and is used after their names um, until you, of course, get to the final one. And then you can finish it off with for Wednesday, comma, the 13th of October at half past 12 o'clock if you're accepting on the bottom line. I really hope that that all came across well between the top lines and the bottom lines and the third lines. And the, Dan's giving me the okay sign. <laughs> the etiquette geek in me is totally sated. I love it. 
You can also reply to an organization. So if this is a larger event, your reply might say something like, and I love this because it's an example of mix in our titles and examples. So our example for how to reply to an organization might be mix, MX period, Casey Wyatt, next line, accepts with pleasure, next line, the kind invitation of following line, the university club, if That would be the club or organization that had uh, invited you. So lots of ways to handle this, but all tip-top in formal shape. High five. High five. (laughs) All right, etiquette geek out complete. Do you think we should get to our etiquette salute? Let's do it. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Elizabeth. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I just wanted to take a moment to share a wonderful etiquette moment I experienced when out with another friend of mine who actually introduced me to your podcast. We were in Hollywood and were headed to dinner before seeing the show Hamilton, which we had waited over a year to see. I still haven't seen it. I can't wait. <laughs> When trying to sit down at dinner, we noticed that most of the tables were full. Two women, commenting that we were all nicely dressed, asked if we would like their seats instead. They offered to move to a communal table and gave up their seats. We were touched by the gesture and kindness of these two strangers who made it possible to enjoy dinner before our show. It was such a wonderful moment and completely enhanced our evening. Sincerely, Elizabeth. I love this. (laughs) It's such a little thing. It's so refined and lovely and thoughtful and considerate. And on a night that can feel like an event night when you're out to see a show, to have someone perform a little kindness that just makes it that much better, that much more memorable, I think it's it's really spectacular. What I love is that this works in informal settings also. It's taking a minute when you are at a restaurant or a cafe or, you know, some place where you're going to sit down and eat and just looking at the other patrons who are about to take seats as well. And rather than hoping that you're going to get the best seat, think about what might work. You know, is it a couple who can really um, accommodate themselves at a high top table? Or is it, you know, a family that could really use, you know, that more spread out table without having to be at a communal table? I mean, just think about the situation. Look around. It's amazing what can happen. Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing. I hope the show was awesome. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or on Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Consider becoming a sustaining member or you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks, Chris. Chris.